Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? It's Saturday morning we're recording this, so you're presumably excited to get your first glimpse of the new, improved Brighton and Hove Albion before their inevitable mid-season mid-season slump. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I am looking forward to it. Uh, We're we're playing Spurs uh, in the 5.30 kickoff on a Saturday afternoon on a train strike day when we are a, a, a club where, where you can only get to the grounds through public transport. So that that's going to be fun and games. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what's going to happen in terms of the kits because as a member of the Cullen Blyde world, uh, purple is the same as blue as far as I'm concerned. So Spurs are playing in purple and we're playing in mainly blue uh, with, a, with a bit of white stripe added for fun. Oh, that sounds like it should be a rom-com. Purple is the same as blue, doesn't it? It's interesting, the, the train strike, because the uh, our game with you was called off because of police concerns about the train strike, but they're clearly not bothered about Tottenham fans uh, not being able to get there or turning up en masse in cars. A strange one, that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was an additional issue uh, when we were scheduled to play against Palace in that uh, all of the car parks are effectively owned by the university and it was freshers week. So all of so the university said, we want the car parks because it's going to be full of parents and offspring turning up together. So there was nowhere to park and there were no trains, which, which added to the fun. Uh, and uh, catch, catching the buses, I think, would have been, uh, would have been lively. Can you imagine, Kieran, 30 years ago, saying to a football fan at any club, I'm sorry, your game's off because the first year sociology students being dropped off <laughs> by mummy and daddy. You just, just, it's, anyway, game's, it, it's gone. game's gone. It's, it's gone. It, 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 questions, though. We've got a couple of uh, short things to talk about first. Uh, firstly, these are heady times, Kieran, for women's football the Lionesses mm. in particular. But our lovely listeners may remember uh, uh, several months ago, we spoke to Sophia Axelson, who's a player and uh, one of the owners at Clapton Community FC uh, women's team. Uh, and she spoke to us about the well, the difficulties of, of trying to run a women's team at grassroots level. But she got in touch with us just a couple of days ago to say, uh, uh, well, actually a rather touching, heartwarming story 
Uh, thanks to the hard work and money raising of the Clapton community, um, the women's team are now playing at the old Spotted Dog Stadium, the, the iconic old Spotted Dog Stadium. They're the first team to be playing back there, which is good news. And they played their first game in front of nearly 500 people. So considering the difficulties that Sophia talked about, I just thought we should mention the fact that they are back at the ground and that's a really good crowd for a, a, a team at that level. So it, it's good news all around, Kieran, isn't it? Women's football at grassroots level, as we've said before, is very, very important. It's a force for good in terms of uh, health, uh, and fitness for girls and women and in terms of getting people from all classes and all communities to mix. So it, I, I, I just thought it was nice to start for once, Kieran, with an upbeat, positive story about women's football away from the glare of the lionesses. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, uh, yeah, gr- Great news from Clapton. And I think I quite fancy a trip to the, the old spotted dog myself. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've got Clapton's iconic away kit, uh, it, as part of my collection, uh, it, it does sound like one of those places where you, you just go to enjoy yourselves. And I, I think, as football fans, you, we we don't enjoy the football. We enjoy pre the football. We enjoy post the football, and then it's ninety minutes of anxiety. You know, um, unless you are Manchester City and you're four or five nil up every at, at half time. Uh, I, I, I still go to matches, and even if we're a couple of goals up, as soon as the opposition get into our half, I'm, I'm, I'm biting my fingernails. So it's, uh, I, think, I think it'd be a good day. And, and you're absolutely right. I, th- I think at grassroots level, the women's game is still very fragile because yep. it doesn't have significant resources. There are challenges uh, in terms of facilities, in terms of costings and so on. Um, and there is so much attention at the up, at the upper echelons of the game, which is fantastic. There's no doubt about that. That uh, trying to to sort of uh, marry the the needs of the national team versus grassroots is going to be an issue going forwards for uh, for the women's game. Uh, yeah, for new listeners, that iconic away kit is based on the colours of the international brigade from the Spanish mm. Civil War. Uh, and it's a thing of beauty. Uh, Kieran, Man United fans are not particularly happy people at the moment, uh, although they did manage to scrape a win against the biggest team in Cyprus just a couple of days ago. Uh, but they're they're particularly unhappy with somebody in London at the moment, aren't they? Uh, yes, yeah, and, and I think uh, rightly so. So, so Manchester United's match at Stamford Bridge, um, which was due to take place in a couple of weeks' time. The I think it's fair to say that the the kickoff time has been fluid. Um, uh, we've got Manchester United who are playing in the Europa League. They're up against Chelsea, of course, who are playing in the Champions League. And the the, the kickoff has been shifted forwards and backs. Sky want it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a big fixture. We're not denying that, but uh, the decision has been made at a relatively late uh, point in time. That uh, it's going to be at five thirty on uh, on Saturday, um, and the Met Police have then decided that uh, Manchester United's away allocation of I think it's two thousand nine hundred and seventy five tickets um, is going to be reduced by seven hundred tickets. But yeah. Manchester United have already sold those tickets, yeah. so 
you know, this is a football finance show. So, okay, will Manchester United give refunds? Yes, they will. But on what criteria are they going to choose who are going to be the 700 United fans who miss out? What's then going to happen as far as... You know, we we know as away fans that we, we plan our lives pretty much in advance uh, in order to get cheap train fares and so on. Well, some United fans will have booked accommodation, some will have booked trans- transportation and so on. Is the refund going to include those costs? And if not, why not? Because there is there is little excuse, uh, in, in my view, as to why the decision has been deferred and deferred and deferred. Um, and and it's, it, it's, it's a mess. And it's a mess which is being driven by the, the broadcasters. They're perfectly entitled to have a say in kickoff times because they've signed a contract to that effect and they pay huge sums of money for, for the rights to, to show their matches. But you know, once again, fans are an afterthought and we are being constantly patronised and monetized and manipulated for the benefit of others. Um, and, and and we are the losers in all this. So, and, and I know there'll be people making some you know, crass comments or, oh, United fans wouldn't have far to travel and so on. Yeah, that, that's crap. If you, I, I know quite a few United fans who go away. They're all local lads, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no doubting that Manchester United is a global fan base. There's a lot of fans that travel uh, to Old Trafford uh, from a variety of places, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as far as their away support is concerned, it, it's hardcore dreads. Yeah, well, also, I, I, I once travelled on a coach from Torquay with 50 Man United fans. Um, all had very good reasons for supporting Man United. And uh, those 50 Man United fans will be heading from Torquay to Stamford Bridge. And as you say... And as indeed the Man United Supporters Trust says, first of all, how are they going to decide which which ticket holders are not allowed in? And secondly, there won't be any refunds of the travel costs. Mm. The club the club certainly won't refund them. The broadcasters won't. The Metropolitan Police probably quite rightly argue that they, they've told everybody, and the broadcasters know this well in advance, that they have this cut-off time of 4.45pm uh, on a weekend in the capital for policing with only where only certain numbers of away fans are allowed after that time. And the clubs knew that and the broadcasters knew that. So the police as the club itself, uh, both clubs are acknowledging aren't really the, the ones to blame here because those rules have always been in place. It's the broadcasters who, as you say, have just kicked the kickoff time from, from pillar to post. And it's, you know, the Premier League are getting a lot of money for the broadcasters, Kieran. That's absolutely right. But mm. it's 2,700 Man United fans and 700 of them are going to be seriously out of pocket. And that isn't right. It really isn't right. Yeah. Uh, uh, questions, Kieran. So uh, what a shame to go from uh, a really good news story to start with to one that's more typical of the modern game. I- Ian Smith has our first question. And Ian Smith says, whilst we still have the disruption of parachute payments, which distort the competitiveness of the championships too early in the morning to start trying to say words like competitive this. Uh, could a handicap be placed on clubs that receive these payments based on their predicted salary bill against the championship average? For example, if Fulham were relegated and their championship, their average bill uh, for wages is £12 million more than the average, then they start the season on minus 12 points. It's a, uh, it's an interesting one, Kieran. It, 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 it is not, an interesting it, one. Yes. It's not. It's not going to happen. But <laughs> and I, um, I think I, I can see a lot of clubs 
who are about to be relegated suddenly reducing their wage bill by a considerable amount of money. But, you know. Well, can they reduce their wage bill by a considerable amount of money? Because, once again, we've just been speaking that the, the Premier League has a contract with the broadcasters where the broadcasters effectively dictate kickoff times. If If you sign a player on a four-year contract at 50 or 60 grand a week, um, you might struggle to get rid of that player after one season in the in the Premier League and you've just been relegated because uh, the rest of the world's realised, actually, he's not as good as his YouTube reel and, and there's nobody else prepared to pay him those wages. Now, the vast majority of clubs do have relegation clauses built into contracts, uh, but it, it will still will be a chance. If we take a look at the position of Fulham, um, in 2020, uh, when they were promoted, their wage bill was 72 million, where the average in the in the championship was 35. So, on the basis of Ian's uh, workings, and and I, and I have put all of these into a spreadsheet, by the way, um, <laughs> Fulham wouldn't have been promoted. Um, I think Rotherham might have been promoted. Yeah, he ended up with something like that. Um, uh, but uh, it, it it certainly would would make things uh, very, very entertaining. I suspect our good friend Nick DeMarco might be called upon by a few clubs to uh, suggest that this isn't a good idea. Should it ever be be enacted uh, to to defend defend those clubs? But uh, the 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 the, the ongoing issue uh, in terms of lack of control of wages in the Championship, in particular. That, that that particular nettle has not been grasped now for over a decade. And, and I, I I don't see a lot of enthusiasm from club owners to, to try to address it. Yeah, it's a very good response to our chat with Nick DeMarco, KC, on, mm. on the last pod. Somebody got in touch to say he reckon we probably got about £4,000 worth of free legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> And somebody or, or else ten, also or ten minutes worth as that's or ten minutes, minutes yeah. <laughs> Somebody else also pointed out, which it's just made me laugh a lot. I was in the pub with some mates the other day, and someone came up uh, who's a fan of the pod, and I, I love the way people's minds were. It's going that 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 lawyer bloke, he hasn't thought this through because <laughs> he's put a book out with all the law in it. No one's going to ask him now, are they? That? I, don't, I don't think that's quite a part. I can't see that Steve Parrish would be representing himself in any future legal case. Um, it's interesting that uh, parachute payments do distort the competitiveness of the championship, but mm. it, it's not the case, as people think, that the free relegated clubs always automatically bounce back. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's normally one sometimes two, but it's, I don't think there's ever been a case when all three of them have gone straight. There probably has been, but, you know, it's, you know, we can see, you know, Watford aren't necessarily benefiting from the parachute payments in a way that yep. perhaps Norwich are, you know. And I think you've also got to look at just how well-run clubs are independent of parachute payments. And in my view, yeah. Norwich, you know, we, we've, had, we've had people from the finance team in Norwich on the show, um, and they, they do think ahead. And I think they're a very stable club. Um, and, and, of course, there's always, uh, you know, they're always disruptors, which, which will mean that those clubs that, that have been relegated in the last year or two um, don't get near promotion and, in fact, could end up getting close to relegation. You know, and, and whilst there's people like Steve Bruce still in the game, that that opportunity is always going to be there. <laughs> Sorry, now I've got the Steve Bruce Nelly the Elephant song going through my head. Now. 
Um, on, on a similar note, and this is a very interesting question from Ash Nemet. Ash says, what if relegation wasn't such a big issue, maybe even normal, in inverted commas? Say 10 teams went down each year with no loss of income for a couple of years. Chances are they'd come back up in that time frame. And with so many clubs being promoted each season, one or two of the championship bottom half could sneak in without really overspending. I mean, this touches on a subject that you've talked about right from the start of the pod. Relegation is too big an issue, Kieran, isn't it, in, in English football compared to, say, Scotland? It is uh, because what we have in Scotland, uh, we have a we have a, a gradient, we have a we have a slope. What we have in English football is we have a cliff. We've got a cliff between the clubs that qualify for the Champions League and those that don't, and and, and that cliff is going to get even higher in twenty twenty four when the new UEFA rules are introduced. We've got a cliff between the uh, the Premier League. And the championship, we've got a cliff between the clubs in the championship with parachute payments and those that don't. And then we've got a cliff between the bottom of the championship and the top of League One, because you get six times as much TV money uh, in the championship as you do in League One. So so that's, that's the area that I think does need to be addressed. I think Ash's idea that um, we make relegation less of a Big issue. I, I think it has some merit. You know, could we move to four up, four down? We, we, yeah, we have that between um, you know League One and League Two. So, so why not have it between the Premier League and and the Championship? You know, it would it would it would increase the excitement. It would increase the <laughs> the tension. There's no doubt about that. But I think the the, the much broader issue of, of parachute payments is that they're they're not working properly because. I, I I think we've quite often had two clubs come straight back up, but I don't think we've ever had three. Um, but there is they they've ceased to become a parachute and they've turned into a trampoline for too many clubs, and that is the area that needs to to be addressed. Um, at the same time, un- unless you if if we're going to try to improve things in the championship, then we really should be trying to address the the issues in the in the Premier League. Yeah. Brighton fans are getting excited because we finished ninth last season. Well, okay, it was ninth. Yeah, ninth yeah. Well, uh, or as we would call it, the sunlit uplands of ninth. <laughs> the, the aspirational ninth. Um, I, I'd rather we didn't talk about four teams being relegated from the Premier League because that's a touchy subject. For oh, yeah, yeah. We were, when the Premier League did relegate four teams one season to reduce the size of it, we would have team that finished fourth bottom. Uh-huh. Uh, we're also the team that uh, was relegated with the most amount of points from the Premier League. So these are these are all scabs that I don't want to pick at. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 and you mentioned not enjoying football, Kieran. You, you're enjoying football a lot more than we are at the moment, let's face it. Some of us are praying for the World Cup, and I didn't think I'd be saying that <laughs> this time last year. Two questions uh, about Stoke City, Kieran, mm. which are a team we've mentioned... Uh, regularly, just because of the strange anomaly that they are owned by people that could buy and sell the rest of the Premier League in their sleep, basically, bet 365. Uh, Keith Bonney says, in March this year, Stoke City announced its shareholders had released £120 million worth of loans. I have a couple of questions relating to the release of shareholder loans to football clubs. Firstly, is the release of a shareholder loan chargeable to corporation tax? 
And secondly, and this is a question that you've been, uh, this is a proper accounting question, <laughs> the likes of which we haven't had for a while. Are there any circumstances in which a football club could find itself liable to pay inheritance tax arising from the release of a shareholder loan? Right. Uh, thank you for this, Keith. Um <laughs> As you can imagine, I went into one of my big books this morning. Um, as, as far as the first question is concerned, what has actually happened is that Bet365 have been very generous benefactors to Stoke City Football Club, Stoke City Football Club Holdings, in fact. Um, and in March this year, they they converted a large amount of one of their loans into one share. So they, they converted, it, it was, I think, I, based on the figures I've seen, it was a £40 million loan, which they converted uh, for one share. And, and th- I think... They said at the time this this was to, to, to make the figures look a bit better, um, and there's no doubt that that is the case. The loan was never going to be repaid, so it was an effectively an acknowledgement by both Bet365 and Stoke City Football Club that they were never going to be in a position where they had the resources, and therefore let, let's, let's just call the whole thing off. Um, is it chargeable to corporation tax? The answer is no, because it's not being treated as a profit or a loss. It's being, it's just converting, it's converting one piece of paper into another. Um, so it has no impact upon the profitability of the club, uh, given the amount of losses that Stoke City have made in recent years. Um, they're never going to have to go and pay any corporation tax for the for, for, for the foreseeable future, anyway. With regards to inheritance tax. Inheritance tax is paid by individuals rather than corporate entities. Um, so therefore, there wouldn't have been an issue from, from Bet365's point of view because um, companies companies live forever you know, unless they go into liquidation. Uh, just because the owners of a company dies, the company still has succession and continues in existence. Um, what could be interesting is if a uh, if if a shareholder passed away, um, and what would happen therefore if those shares were passed on to the offspring or you know other relations of of the person who's just passed away? Uh, and clearly, you know, we we know that some club owners have. We think about what's happened at Preston over the last uh, year or two and so on. Um, There wouldn't have been any inheritance tax implications for this uh, because there is something called business property relief. And and the aim of the tax system, I know know, it's easy to to be critical of the tax system at at times and and some criticism is valid. The the aim of the tax system is is not to screw things up should, should somebody pass away. Uh, from a business point of view, so if 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 I ran a company which was successful, the shares were worth a lot of money. I've been running that company, you know, for a good few years. I passed away, the shares went to my kids, and all of a sudden, well, you got a massive inheritance tax bill. Then then the business might fold because you'd have to sell the business in order to get to to pay the tax. So if you've owned a business for at least two years and it's passed on to your family then uh, the, the, in, the inheritance tax issues are, are pretty insignificant. Um, and that's it. I've, I've not talked tax for 20 years, but I sort of, you know, <laughs> keep further away. Uh, it, was, it was far too much, uh, far too much of a serious subject for me. Um, but uh, yeah, like most accountants, uh, tax is, the, is, is my favourite three-letter word ending in X. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you you may not have talked it for a while, Kieran, but you obviously haven't forgotten how to talk. <laughs> the technique is still there. Although I have to say that's quite a brutal way to tell me you've not left me anything in your will, Kieran. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, corporation tax, Kieran, is, is that... Hello? Oh, sorry, that's, uh, that's the... <laughs> That's the chief executive of a football club phoning me up. Is it really? I, I, I assumed it wasn't Finley, because he's not that clever. Uh, corporation tax and business tax, are they the same thing? What's what's the rate of corporation tax? Uh, they, well, um, I, I think we have to go and pass across this to Mr. Quasi Karteng, because it's, it's something <laughs> okay. which is a bit of a movable feast. Um, it's, it's 19% at present, okay. and I think the government. Right. Uh, it, there was a plan to increase it to 2024. Where that is going to go, it's 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 uncertain. And again, going back to the world of football, this this is a much uh, broader issue. Uh, that yeah, we know that some football clubs uh, do have uh, players who set up companies. Yeah, and they they end up paying corporation tax at nineteen percent instead of. Uh, income tax at forty five plus national insurance, but you know, but I think we've covered that as a separate separate topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and secondly, Kieran, a, a loan that's never going to be paid back. Uh, well, uh, firstly, it's it's the sort of loan that I, I take out, but it, a loan that's not going to be paid back is a donation, isn't it? Does does that not change things for FFP or tax purposes or? No, no. Um, I think think by converting it into shares, you you you, you effectively circumvent that um, because it's 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 treated as neither. Uh, it, it's not treated as income, and it's not treated as a cost. Now, when clubs did try to treat it as income, and this happened with Queens Park Rangers uh, in twenty fourteen. People may recall that Queens Park Rangers. Uh, were promoted to the the Premier League. Um, they won the playoffs, and they they had absolutely busted their way through yeah. um, in uh, FFP. So what they said, we're, we're going to write off some of the loans. We're going to treat it as income, and it took four years to resolve the case. And in fact, Nick DeMarco, who who we spoke to on on Thursday's show, he represented Queens Park Rangers. Nick is a big uh, is a big fan uh, of of the club. And uh, uh, you know, QPR had a, had a big financial settlement on the back of that, so so it it, it gets messy to put it quite mildly, right. and the the accountants and the lawyers, um, you know, have to come to some form of conclusion with regards to the uh, the small print on this. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas 
into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Christine Bradley is a Stoke City fan. Uh, and this is an interesting one, Kieran. Christine points out that Stoke City have switched this season from a high-quality paid-for match programme, which used to cost £3.50, to a free programme. It's still reasonable quality, and you pick it up from various locations within the concourse. Uh, obviously, cost savings have been made from not having programme sellers around the ground, and I assume advertising rates will have increased as circulation may be higher but is this likely to be cost-effective in the longer term? I, I think it's it's an intriguing one. Um, I, I spoke to uh, Ian, who is our programme consultant, uh, who, who's one of the experts. We'll, we'll, we'll have to get somebody on about – we could get quite a few pro- questions about programmes. We'll have to get yeah, somebody from the world of yeah. programmes on the show. Um, I, I think you know, when, when I spoke to Ian, he said that – from from the perspective of people in the program industry, but also from from an information point of view, uh, you know, any printed program is better than no program at all. Um, pr- in terms of sort of the the level of program sales, I, I know I know at Brighton we sell probably around about nine thousand for a home match. If it's if it's a big match, if if, you know, if, if we're playing, yeah, yeah. And let's be honest, our biggest match of the season is Palace. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it goes for most teams, Kieran. I think you'll find. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it might be eleven or twelve thousand again. With you know, when the likes of Manchester United, and Liverpool, and Chelsea come to town, then then you, you sell more programs because people want a memento of you know what I might you know which ideally is going to be a, a a memorable occasion. So as far as Stoke is concerned, their average attendance is is twenty thousand this season. So therefore, I, you know, I, I, and from a from a paid program point of view, I would imagine they're probably selling you know four, five, six thousand per match. You multiply that by three pounds fifty. It's it's an interesting one. The, the the thing about a program these days, and I think you and I both grew up in the era of paying sixpence for a program, yeah. where you got the 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 guesswork in terms of. The uh, who would be the starting eleven? Uh, you'd be told the name of the referee. You might get a uh, a, a favourite meal and uh, why why I like Phil Collins from one of the players. And, and they were pretty dry, dry things. Yeah, they, they they weren't particularly attractive. The world of programs, the quality of the content has hugely improved. Um, and 
uh, you know, you know I, th- I think the danger of Stokes' approach is that in order to address the cost issue, the proliferation of adverts um, that is likely to arise will overwhelm any other content, and, and therefore you just end up with you know I've, I've got you know forty people advertising, and it becomes it becomes not a football program; it becomes an advertising brochure for local businesses. Um, and under those circumstances, you might as well just go and dole out the the, the team sheets. Um, you know, on, on a positive, Stoke certainly recognising that there are fans that want some that want something, um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's 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 better than scrapping the program altogether and just having something on the on the club website. Yeah, the programs used to tell you not only the name of the referee, but his hometown as well. Yes, <clears throat> some bizarre reason. So I, I can't hear the name Graham Pohl without saying Tring in my head. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I, actually, I've got an idea. If if Brighton were to include, uh, say, a couscous casserole recipe in each program. They sell every every copy. I don't know if there is a couscous casserole, but I just like the pleasing alliteration of it. Yeah. I I missed. There used to be a a stall. It wasn't even a stall at Sellers Park. It was a hole in the wall, basically, where <clears throat> a little old fellow used to sell all the away programs. So if you oh if yeah, you missed, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. If you missed an away game, you just go down and buy. Because of course, there are many people, Kieran, like you say, who would be bereft if there was no match day program to mm. take home and put in their folder. Um, John Vince has a question uh, about a subject we have discussed. I'm always happy to revisit it. John Vince, uh, who's a Palace fan, I have to say, says, with your love of talking about Scottish football and your always excellent Neil Doncaster when he appears on the pod, could the Scottish leagues ever go back to its original format? Because in its present format, we all know that teams in the SPFL mainly rely on the income for the visit of the big two and maybe a local derby or two. Yeah, I I spoke to somebody in Scottish football about this earlier this morning, um, who said the, the answer to this question is is simple. It's down to the clubs if right. they want an eighteen team division. And, and I was looking at I was looking at the the Scottish league in nineteen seventy three four, and it was it, it was great to see so many teams. Um, it, it it will then become reality. It is very much in the hands of the clubs itself. But this person uh, then said, "Yeah, it's very difficult to see any circumstances where the following would be more attractive than the status quo. You know, to, to either clubs, to broadcasters. You know, we've spoken about broadcasters. You know, they 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 want in an ideal world get four four Celtic versus Rangers matches, brings yeah. brings more eyeballs in a season, um, and also uh, in respect of you know." For, for those clubs that are in the Premiership, the fans as well, because they they get the opportunity to see. Um, you know, they if, if if you move to an eighteen team league, there would be fewer big games. There there'd only be two Edinburgh derbies, and I think the other issue that that has been, uh, I think this is a much broader issue as far as Scottish football is concerned. Um, you know, they've tried to address it by splitting the leagues, but if you were Eighth, and you were playing the team that was thirteenth in in an eighteen team league after Christmas. Who, who's going to attend? You're not going to get any. Yeah. You're not going to get any walk up fans. So I think there would be an impact upon attendances. Um, you know, they, they have tried some innovative uh, ways to address uh, the fact that that Scottish football isn't competitive. 
you know, you've got the we've got the two two Glasgow clubs who have finished first and second every season in which they've both been in the division, with with very very few exceptions um, over the course of the last twenty to thirty years, and that that means you know trying to get. Uh, fans of other clubs to have some meaningful interest, unless they are in danger of relegation, is is actually more of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> of course, as we always say, there are those Scottish fans who say that the English Premier League is increasingly less competitive mm. every year as well. Do we know, does the Scottish Premier League have the same sort of voting system as, as the English Premier League does with a straightforward 14 club majority? Is there a similar system in Scotland? I, I think in Scotland you need at least an eleven to one vote. Right. Okay. So okay. it's uh, because it's it, it's. I think there is slightly more politicised in Scotland uh, with regard to certain elements. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I, I presume that eleven to one reflects the fact that there are two clubs who would probably disagree with each other on everything. So that probably makes sense. Uh, Mark McCartney has uh, an interesting question. I like this one. Uh, I like all our questions, let's be fair. But Mark McCartney says, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was built to also accommodate NFL matches as well as Mm. football. Uh, Currently, two NFL matches per season are played at the stadium. Is just two games a season worth the cost of having the stadium configured to accommodate uh, NFL? Or has it been built in the hope that they will one day host an NFL franchise team in North London? Um, I I think as far as... uh the people involved at Spurs are concerned is that they they have been trying to future-proof the stadium. And the very fact that you know Mark's referring it to uh, as the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is, is intriguing because the Spurs have put so much effort in the stadium not being referred to as White Hart Lane. Yeah. Uh, because I am anticipating uh, a, a naming rights deal. With regards to the stadium, and what you don't want is is everybody to yeah. If it had been called White Hart Lane for two or three years, the biggest problem you've got with naming rights is if if you are second to the table, you know, nobody yeah. You know, uh, you know, the Coventry Building Society Stadium, the uh, you know, I've, I've I've lost track where we are as far as Bolton are concerned. I think it's is it Bolton University? Yes, um, I, I, but yeah, you know, it, things. I, I remember it as the Reebok, as the Rico, and so on. So Spurs have, have really put a lot of effort into some of these things. And one of the things is 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 the pitch. The pitch is retractable. So um, whilst the deal that they have with the NFL is for a restricted number of matches, there is nothing in theory for uh, a franchise to be awarded. Yeah, we've had London franchises of NFL in the past. Um, Spurs would certainly put themselves forwards. Uh, to host that that London franchise for the NFL, um, and all of this is done without upsetting the groundsman, who, as we both know, is one of the most important people uh, at, at a football match. You know, I, I was watching some, I was watching some YouTube clips, as, as as we all do, from from matches in the seventies and eighties, and you don't realise the amount of progress that's been made in terms oh. of pitches. It is, yeah, it was rolled mud. Uh, there were divots which could, which could, which you could lose a leg in quite easily uh, in the old days. And and, and, it, and the groundsmen and the, the skills that they have and the level of professionalism that goes into uh, pitch maintenance uh, is, is amazing these days. It might lose a leg in. You could lose Dennis Wise in some of those divots. <laughs> Uh, it's the naming rights thing is interesting, Kieran, is it? Because if if you're buying the rights to a new stadium, say when Arsenal moved to the Emirates, mm. 
it, it's much easier for fans to call a new stadium by a new name. But if, if you know, God forbid, Sellers Park was to become something else, Palace fans would always call it Sellers Park. So if you're buying the naming rights to a ground that nobody's going to refer to it by that name, probably even commentators, that's a, a different matter, isn't it, for any potential uh, sponsor or naming rights bidder? It is, you're absolutely right. And, and that's why it always will be Selhurst Park. It will always be Anfield. It will always be Old yeah. Trafford. And, 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 if you, and yeah, if anybody thinks that the Glazers... Yeah, why haven't the Glazers ever thought about renaming Old Trafford? It's simply because they have. And the, the, the reaction that they've had is A, hostile from fans, and B, lukewarm from potential sponsors. I'm not saying it won't ever happen in the future, but... Um, Whilst uh, I, th- I think uh, there can be some very valid criticisms levelled at the upper echelons of Manchester United, there are still people at that club who hold the you know the club's ideals close to their heart, and I think they they would put up objections as well. Yeah, well, as, as Mike Ashley found out to his cost as well when he was it SportsDirect.com. Yes, St James's yes. Park is always going to yeah. be St James's Park, whatever you're trying to do. Our next question comes from Will Dyer. And Will says, as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, finding a football team can be difficult for many reasons, which the brilliant Channel 4 show that Kieran was part of highlighted very well. Whilst on this search for a team, I came across the London Unity League, a league of 10 teams with a focus on LGBTQIA plus inclusion. And this got me thinking, are there other leagues of this type that focus on a particular community? Do these leagues have to be within the football pyramid? and regulated by the FA in the same way that most other clubs are? And if the answer to the above question is no, could this league or others like it prove a competitor to traditional leagues? Now, I know, Kieran, there's a, in South London, there's a, a league for South American nations, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, always good to visit. There was a league, uh, unfortunately, short-lived for teams with players with mental health issues. So this is a, uh, this is a very interesting question from Will, isn't it? And you were you were that Channel Four show you were part of was very interesting. Yes, yeah, uh, it was it was intriguing because the the guys that recorded the show that developed the show that they looked at uh, a variety of stakeholders and even since that show went out, which was just over, just I think about twelve months ago, uh, yeah. you know, we we have seen progression um, in that. Uh, you know, some some players have. You know, we've got a player coming out, uh, Blackpool, and so on. Uh, another, and we've got a referee who's come out. And the reaction within football has been, you know, positive, which is which is what it should be. Uh, it's not an issue in the women's game. So therefore, if it's not an issue in the women's game, why should it be an issue in the men's yeah, game? It's, it's always yeah. been my view. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there there are leagues now. Ev- everything ultimately comes under the umbrella of the FA, but many leagues are not part of a necessary pyramid system. So um, we've got leagues which are uh, some, sometimes uh, related to faith. So uh, we've got the Maccabi GB Southern Football League, for example. And, and that that allows, if, if, you, if you are from a, a particular background or faith or so on, uh, this, this does give you some, uh, some benefits in terms of fixture. Uh, fixture allocation. So, you know, if if it's Hanukkah taking place and the you know the people don't want to play during Hanukkah, or if you've got a a a league which is based on on uh, mainly Muslim based clubs, they they could say you know do things. So, you know, we've got, we've got Ramadan and so on. Yeah. So, I think that's that, that does show that uh, 
that there is there is a demand there's an interest for it um there's also leagues in terms of professions because i used to play in the manchester chartered accountant sunday league wow. um and the standard of football wasn't very good but we were always very up to date as to who'd paid their subs oh. so um, <clears throat> so that was very good I imagine the conversation in the pub afterwards sparkled. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, we've got uh, specialist clubs. So I think many people will have heard of Sands FC, which was which was set up um, for, uh, for, 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 for men who had lost children. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching uh, Welcome to, to Wrexham uh, last night with, with the Baroness. And it was, it's, <laughs> you know, you know how to show her a good time, don't you? Oh, she, she loves it. She loves it because it's, it's, it's not about football. It's about people. And, uh, she, t- she tells you she loves it. <laughs> she does. Yes. Yes. As she goes on a fourth Prosecco. Yeah. <laughs> it's only, it's only 26 minutes. How come you get through four Proseccos that quickly? Um, and, and they were talking to, to one of the players and it was, it was a, it was it was it was heart wrenching stuff because uh, he and his partner, uh, you know, they were expecting a child and and the child was born sleeping, and they oh. they posted the photographs of the, the hand of the child and it was abs and and then you realise football is not about football is is more than football, yeah. um, and you know the, the, and the, you know we are blokes we both know the the one thing that we are absolutely terrible at is opening up and having specialist clubs such as Sands where you know blokes who have been through this similar issue and of course if you've been through such a loss and you know, and I, I haven't but how do you express yourself because we are conditioned to say well I've got to be there I'm I'm there to hug my partner I've got to go and put on a brave face and so on when inside you're you're just a complete mess, and to be able to talk to to other people that have been through a similar process, and to come together in a football club, I think things like this are absolutely fantastic. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm a bit. Um, uh, I'm just getting over a cold, so I'm a bit bunged up today. Everybody, uh, two friends of my acquaintance um, started a charity in the northeast called Walk for Louis. Uh, for a similar reason, they they provide little chests to hospitals, so when people do lose a child or the child is uh, born sleeping as you say uh, they can put a lock of the hair or a little memento into the chest to take with them so uh, as you say it's a very sensitive issue um, which almost makes me reluctant to ask the next question which uh, I think is simultaneously one of my favorite questions and also one of the oddest questions we're ever going to get uh, I'm not I'm I'm not setting that as a challenge to our listeners, but this, <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, every, every now and again I say, I love this question because it highlights something really simple but obvious that we've all been talking about. Not this one. This I, I can recall no conversations in any pub pre-game about this one. But it comes from Sean Ford. <laughs> yes. uh, and Sean says, I recently discovered that my club, Leighton Orient, are the only club left in the football league with stanchions in their goalposts. All 71 other clubs in the EFL have converted to the taut, box-like goal nets, whereas the Orient nets dangle freely to the floor. Are there any financial benefits? 
<laughs> to, to keeping the old style nets. Is there an FA ruling? <laughs> the Orient, the Orient missed. I'm sorry for laughing, Sean, but it's a, it's, it's a really good question, but it? it's just, <coughs> I've been laughing on and off ever since I first read it, I have to say. Because I, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been asking friends here whether there are any financial benefits to keeping the old style nets, but I came up with a blank, so I'm hoping you can clarify. Yeah, the way that, that, that Sean's managed to get a, uh, <laughs> a financial angle into this is absolutely brilliant. Um if if you go on to the FA handbook, uh, there is the there is sort of a sort of a quasi history of uh, of goals uh, and, and goal posts and goal nets and so on. Um, so the FA uh, did have a ruling because again, you know, we're both old enough to remember, uh, you know, Parks football where you had hooks on the goals. Yeah. Um, so hooks have been banned for a significant period of time because they they were pretty lethal. Yeah, you know, you've, if, um, so uh, yeah, you can get yourself a really nasty injury with regards to those. Um, then there were issues in terms of uh, uh, goalposts falling over during the match uh, and so on. Um, but when it comes to uh, the the lack of stanchions, I, I, I'm not aware of any particular rule with regards to this. Um I can only presume that Orient have done it because their groundsman's quite happy with with stanchions, uh, uh, and uh, I, I think I think you you're, you're there's less chance of a ghost goal with the new type of nets like Clive Allen. Clive Allen, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, we, that was that was that was that, that was a scandal in the playground, wasn't it? For about yep. three or four days afterwards. Yep. Clive Allen um, scored a goal, a perfectly good goal against Coventry, which bounced back off the stanchion, wasn't given. Yep. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's done for aesthetic rather than financial reasons. Uh, so I'm I'm not aware, Sean, of any financial link. Um, I don't think there's an FA ruling with regards to this, though. Yeah, uh, two things off the back of that, which is fairly amazing when you think about it. Um, firstly, hello, Finley. Uh, I would I would I would make Premier League players carry the crossbar out before a game, and then carry it back again. Just to see which of the Pampa Premier League players refused. Like every Sunday League team had a player who said, "I'm not carried across bar. It's not my job." Um, uh, so I'm so excited about that. I forgot what the second thing. Oh yes, Sean Ford. I'm hoping that Sean Ford has won twenty quid from his mates who were sitting <laughs> were sitting in the pub several months ago. Going, they will never read that out. There is no way, Sean, in the world that they are going to read that question out. But we did, and it. Uh, brought a little joy into our lives so thank you for that Sean. Uh, Our last question comes from and it did make me wonder how long our waiting list for questions is because it's about something that happened in 2009. Uh, Thomas Hayward says I've only just discovered uh, about the 2009 Notts County takeover scam involving Sven Joran Eriksson. Can you give us a brief overview of what and how it happened from a finance point of view? This was a huge story at the time Kieran. It is worth revisiting i think yes yeah and uh what i would say thomas i would i would highly recommend uh the trillion dollar conman podcast oh. which was which was devoted to this um effectively th- th- there was a fraudster um and there was a fraudster who set up a company called munto finance uh which uh 
claimed to have uh, generated a lot of money through mining. I think the mines were in North Korea. The mines never existed, by the way. No, yeah. um, and they they recruited that uh, they they. They recruited Sven as the director of football, and then uh, you know, Kasper Schmeichel was there. Sol Campbell turned up, and people yeah. were going, "What's Sol Campbell doing there?" Yeah, it, it was it, it was just um, an, an amazing period of time. So, uh, it, it, as as always with with con men, it they are they are persuasive. They are they they come across as sincere. You you can't see what's in it for them. Uh, to begin with, uh, and it involves lots of offshore activity, uh, Jersey, Bahrain, Dubai, uh, you know, loads of false promises, um, and so on. So uh, what, what happened was that this guy effectively pitched to the old owners, effect, tried to get an, uh, uh, tried to get a controlling interest, and, and then went to people. There was even talk at one stage of uh, David Beckham coming out of retirement and playing for, for Notts County, and it it was just sheer lunacy, um, but it's it, it's what happens with with people who uh, want want to make money. You know, if, if they're not doing it in football, they're doing it in in various other aspects of life. So yeah. uh, it was it was this this strange guy called King who who claimed to make money on the stock market and uh, mining and so on, and he claimed to have a load of money which he didn't have. Uh, the, the trouble is, Kieran, that's still a common occurrence in football, and also his circumstances are not that different to to actually genuine club owners. So that's it's it, it seems to me that football is an ideal world in which a con, a con artist could operate. Yeah, and, and what what do you do under those circumstances? Is that you you acquire a business uh, which appears to be legitimate? Well, it is legitimate. The football club was legitimate. And then you use that as a vehicle to enter contracts and to run up loads and loads of debt, um, and 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 this is what's happened. And, and when uh, I think w- when it was uh, investigated, they ended up the, the debts were around about seven million. Uh, and yeah, the, the the guy that was involved is I think he's now in prison. Yeah. Um, due to various misdemeanors. So, uh, yeah, for, for for the full details, because it would be it would be a forty minute. Uh, spiel on here. Just just go to uh, tr- trillion dollar con man, and uh, you'll you'll get the uh, story. But it's it's one of those things you go now. This 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 is fiction. This is fiction. But it ain't. Yeah. If only there was some way of investigating these people before they took over a club. Kieran, eh? you'd think you'd think they'd put some kind of rule in place, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, and the exist the existing rules don't seem to be working perfectly. So if perhaps with some sort of independent regulator, <laughs> uh, we might be able to make more progress. Well, the existing rules basically are: Are you in prison? No. Yes. Well done. Here's your football club. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, then go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. Apologies to all of those of you who had to bet on uh, the independent regulator not being mentioned and thought you'd got through the whole pod without that happening. Uh, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, as ever, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you so much for the feedback, everybody, uh, and, and also for the very kind words you said about you know, Nick Nick DeMarco coming on the show. Um, 
we 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 were chuffed to get him, and and he was very open with us, and and I'm glad that glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, the fact that it was a night ended up as a ninety minute show. We're flexible. You always take you always take dog for a slightly longer walk. Um, so uh, Patreon for, for just a, yeah, for as little as a pound a month, one way of showing some positive vibes. But you don't have to go down that route if you don't want to. I appreciate time. Times are tough for us all. Um, one of the ways you can help the show is to go on to your podcast app and leave us a review. And if and if you think we're worth five stars, then we're, we're always happy to get. It. I think we're we're averaging four point nine, which which yeah, is not bad, bad. Which, is, which is pretty damn good. So thank you very much for all that. Um, it, it doesn't matter what you say in the narrative. Uh, by all accounts, it's uh, the the Apple algorithm reads that reads the stars. Um, so you, you could rather say you would uh, prefer to have the show hosted by Jason Cundy and Ted Bundy. <laughs> and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to me or Kevin. I, I'm, I think that would be quite an opinionated show. I'm not sure I'd listen to it myself. I'd be a perfect guy. Well, I'd certainly listen to the first five minutes. And, and uh, yeah, well, you know, by all means, say what you want. It'd be quite a difficult sell to Jason Cundy, that one, from his agent, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Who's the other bloke? Oh, right, okay. I'll tell you who I want to coach. I want Sean, Sean Ford, Leighton Orient fan. I want him yes. to host a, a, a stanchion special, the podcast. That's what this. That's what we need. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the